Jesus has very strong words for those who claim to speak for God, but are mere pretenders and deceivers. So if you are in that disillusioned camp, before you give up on church, listen to what Jesus has to say. And if you're not in that camp, which I hope is most of us, be ready to be encouraged by the shepherd of your soul. Just by way of reminder, uh, chapter 10, is truly, truly a saying to you. And if you've been going through John with us or if you've read through the book of John, you'll know that 25 times in the book of John, he says, truly, truly a saying to you. Jesus wants us to pay attention. What I'm going to say to you is really important. Scholars have told us whenever Jesus says, truly, truly a saying to you, he's referring back to what he has just talked about before. And so what chapter 10 is, it's a link to chapter 9. He's illustrating, he's uh, explaining what has happened in chapter 9 here in chapter 10. So if you weren't here last week, just remember what happened in chapter 9. The man born blind has been given physical sight. But not only that, he's been given spiritual sight. He has become a Christian. He's a follower of Jesus. But at the same time, the religious leaders of the time, the Pharisees, have been shown to be blind. Still in darkness. Jesus said, if you have a chapter 9, your guilt still remains. We talked about this great reversal last week. And so as we get into chapter 10, Jesus is the master teacher, as he's just really condemned the Pharisees, and as he's brought this blind man into the kingdom, he tells them a story to kind of illustrate what's been going on. It's not a normal story. Six calls it a figure of speech, and it's not immediately obvious what we say. So, what we're going to do today, we're going to go through the story, and then we're going to look at the interpretation or application of that story as Jesus explains it for us. And as we're going through it, as you listen, I want us to remember, we want to kind of put our, put our minds in the, in the minds of the original audience. And when they heard the word shepherd, they were thinking leader, leader. Specifically, the leaders of Israel. So, throughout the Old Testament, the shepherds were the leaders. So, they are thinking of that. We may not be thinking of shepherds as, as leaders today. 
as we learn about the ten shepherds in verse 1 in this story. Jesus says, truly, truly, I say to you, he who does not enter the sheepfold by the door, but climbs in by another, another way, that man is a thief and robber. The door is really important in this story. We need to pay attention to the door. Because it's the only legitimate way into the sheepfold. Jesus says that anyone who does not enter through the door has ulterior motives. He's a thief and a robber. And in contrast to the thief and robber is the true shepherd in verse 2. But he who enters by the door is the shepherd of the sheep. To him, the gatekeeper opens. So the shepherd, as the owner of the sheep, has legitimate access to his sheep when he goes through the door. So let's observe the sheep's reaction to these two different characters, the the thief and the robber and the true shepherd. Well, first, how the sheep responds to the true shepherd. The sheep, he hears his voice, and he calls his own sheep by name and leads them out. When he has brought out all his own, he goes before them, and the sheep follow him. Fascinating creatures. They're not the brightest of creatures. Sometimes my wife told me a story of uh, some sheep she was around and just kept going into the barbed wire fence. And she pulled out a sheep and both the, the sheep would go right back into the barbed wire fence. So they're not always the brightest. But one of their superpowers, one of their abilities, is that they can recognize the voice of their masters, of their owners. And so here we have the shepherd calling each sheep by name. Them out of the sheepfold by his voice alone. So the sheep respond to the true shepherd. The sheep don't respond in the same way to these pretend shepherds. Listen to verse 5. A stranger they will not follow, but they will flee from him, for they do not know the voice of strangers. So the point Jesus is making is that sheep know the shepherd's voice, and they're fearful of other voices. They, they flee from strangers. Now, when Jesus finished this story, says those who are listening did not understand it, right? In the context of chapter 9, we know this is the Pharisees. The Pharisees didn't understand it. Well, newsflash, they never understood what Jesus was saying to them. So it's not a surprise. But the rest of our passage consists in Jesus explaining this story, really expounding upon it. He's, he's not just uh, explaining it, he's going further in the next verses. And the overarching point that Jesus is trying to get across to us is this. If you take your notes, this is a good memorize if you have it. To receive abundant life, you must reject the pretenders and listen to the voice of Jesus. To receive abundant life, you must reject the pretenders and listen to the voice of Jesus. So why should we do that? Why should we reject the pretenders and listen to the voice of Jesus? Two reasons emerge from the rest of the text. It's because that you can only enter God's flock through Jesus. Only through Jesus. That's in verse 7 to 9. And second, it's because Jesus alone is mediation. That's in verses 10 to 11, So let's look at that first point. That you can only enter God's flock through Jesus. 
to identify himself in a very surprising way. Right here in verse 7. If you're like me, you're expecting him to say, I'm an only child. And he's going to say, no. No, that would be wrong. But that's not how he starts out. He identifies himself with another part of the story. So in verse 7, Jesus again said to them, truly, truly, I say to you, I am the door of the sheep. What is Jesus doing? Well, he's simply saying that he is the only entry point into the fold of God. If you want to be in the fold of God, if you want to be part of God's people, the only way in is through Jesus. There's no other way, whether you're a shepherd, a leader, or a sheep. There's no other way. Jesus, you see, is not one option among many in this world. He's not just one way to get Jesus is the center point, the centerpiece and the center point of all of human history. He is the, the door. And this is not what most of God's leaders have believed up to that time. Jesus said this in verse 8, All who came before me are thieves, robbers. Remember the story, the thief and the robber doesn't come by the door, they, they come another way. But the sheep did not listen to them. So we can't miss this. We've got to really pay attention to what Jesus is doing here. He's talking to the current shepherds of Israel, the, the Pharisees. And Jesus is saying, since you guys have rejected me, since you don't believe in me, since you're not in line with my teaching, you are thieves and robbers. You're thieves and robbers. In fact, all the leaders like you who have not come through me, have not come through the way of God, are also thieves and robbers. He may be talking about the false messiahs that had come some years before. He may be talking about all of God's leaders to this point in history who did not follow the ways of God. Not Moses and David, they didn't follow the ways of God, but even other leaders, usually kings and chronicles, you'll see some of those. All those who came before me are also thieves and robbers. He's saying you may appear to be righteous to others, You see, the religious leaders thought they had the keys to entrance, never even uh, into the kingdom. Remember what, what had been happened last in that chapter with the blind man. They cast the blind man who was healed out of the synagogue. They thought they had this ability to say who's in and who's out. You say, no, you got it all wrong. I'm the door. You're not the door. You are thieves and robbers. I'm the door for thieves and robbers. Because this highlights for us that Jesus always sees through our appearances. He always sees through into our very hearts. He's not impressed with someone's position within the church. He's not impressed with degrees or outside accolades or what others say about that person. He cares about the heart. And has this person gone through him? Does this person trust in him? No matter what the Pharisees might present to the contrary, these Seeing God's people for their own gain. But Jesus says the sheep, they didn't listen to them. They didn't listen to the Pharisees. Most pointedly, when we saw this last chapter with the blind man who became a sheep and trusted in Jesus, he didn't listen to the Pharisees. What is that God's redeemed people don't listen to false pretend shepherds? Well, in 
the next verse, Jesus repeats that he is the door. At this time, not in relationship to the leaders or the shepherds, but in relation to the sheep. Listen to verse 20. I am the door. If anyone enters by me, he will be saved and go in and out and find pasture. In other words, today, if you want to be part of God's people, if you want to be included in God's people, this, this holy people, you must enter by the door. There's only one door, and that is Jesus. What does it mean to enter by the door? To enter by Jesus means you believe in him. It means you trust in him as your Lord and Savior. And when you do this, Jesus says, you will be saved. That is, saved from the punishment that your sins deserve. And you will have freedom that you've never experienced before. Freedom from the sin that has burdened you up until that point. That's what he's expressing when he's going in and out and finding pasture. Friends, the way to God's hold, into God's hold, is narrow. There is only one way in, and that's through Jesus. But when you trust in Jesus, go through that narrow door, that narrow way, you will experience a freedom that you have never imagined. It can't, it's so good it cannot be measured. Well, Jesus then puts himself side by side with the pretenders in, in, in verse 10. And so he's going to pretend right here, and then he talks about himself here. He says, the thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. And then he says, I can't. See, the lies of those who claim to know the way to God expose humanity. Don't be deceived, friends. Any religious leader, no matter what strike, no matter what background, no matter how holy they appear to be, any religious leader that does not come in Jesus' name or who promises a way to God other than Jesus is a thief. Is a thief. And that thief's motives are evil. It's to steal and kill and destroy. And that goes back to the very end of our souls, but he disguises himself as an angel of the Lord. And he does so for those who are serving him with his religious conscience. God has always condemned this type of leadership, especially when it's present among his own people. You may remember Ezekiel 34. scattered because there was no shepherd, and they 
became food for all the wild beasts. And then he continues, my sheep were scattered with none to search or seek for them. You see, this type of corrupt leadership is the exact opposite of Jesus. See, the exact opposite of how Jesus loves us and shepherds us. In contrast to the thief who comes to steal, kill, and destroy, Jesus came to earth that we might have abundant life. This is this abundant life is eternal life. It's life with Jesus. It begins the day you trust in Jesus Christ and lasts for all eternity. Abundant life is not circumstantial doesn't mean you're going to be rich or that you're going to be kept from trials or difficulties of life. Abundant life is the life lived in submission under King Jesus, under his rule, under his authority. Because Jesus in himself contains life. And so our connection to him, that's what gives us life. He's the one who provides abundant joy and rest and security for soul that cannot be found anywhere else. So why should we reject the pretenders and follow the voice of Jesus? First, because the only way to enter God's flock and experience abundant life is through him. Now we come to the second reason why we should reject the pretenders and follow the voice of Jesus in the text, and it's because Jesus alone is the good shepherd. These next verses, Jesus continues to show us the, the great contrast between himself and the pretend shepherds. And one main difference is what Jesus does for the sheep as compared to the other person in verse 11. He says, I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. So what does Jesus here list as his main credential as the good shepherd? Giving sacrificing his very life is that he lays down his life for the sheep. Jesus loves his sheep so much that he gave his life for them. But he bought them with the price of his own precious blood. You see, we can't become a sheep of God without this sacrifice. We were not part of the fold. We can never become part of the fold apart from the good shepherd. said he was the good shepherd. His original audience surely would have heard echoes from the Old Testament. Because in the Old Testament, God himself refers to himself as the shepherd and the shepherd throughout the Old Testament. So they may have been thinking of Psalm 23, maybe that's where you're not going to the Lord, who's my shepherd, shall not want. Or they may have gone again to Ezekiel 54, and we'll quote from it again. Listen to God's words to his people starting in verse 4. Myself will be the shepherd of my sheep. This is in the context of the bad shepherds of the Israel who were leasing the flock. He said, I myself will be the shepherd of my sheep. And I myself will make them lie down in the clothes of their dead. I will seek the lost. I will bring back the strayed. I will bind up the injured. I will strengthen the weak and the fat of the strong. I will destroy. I will feed them in justice. 
set up over them one shepherd, a servant David, and he shall feed them, and he shall feed them, and be their shepherd. So God is speaking of the Messiah who would come from David's line. So what is Jesus doing? He's saying, I am the good shepherd. He's saying, I'm not a good shepherd. I'm the good shepherd. In other words, I am the good shepherd of Ezekiel 34. I am the good shepherd of Psalm 23. I am the good shepherd. And I am the messianic, uh, the Davidic Messiah from Ezekiel 34 as well. It's all pointing to me. But Jesus contrasts himself with another type of pretended shepherd in his book. He who is a hired hand is not a shepherd. He's not a sheep. Sees the wolf coming and leaves the sheep and flees. And the wolf snatches them and scatters them. He flees because he's a hired hand and cares nothing for the sheep. Trying to see the difference between Jesus, the good shepherd, and all other pretenders. The context in which he's speaking, the hired hand is a religious leader that is in it for the money. He's in it for the praise, the glory. He has no ownership over the sheep. In fact, he doesn't even care for the sheep. Jesus says he's concerned about money. He's concerned about his own well-being. He's concerned about his own reputation. He has no care for the well-being of the flock. And that was certainly true of the Pharisees and religious leaders of Jesus' day. In fact, that is true of some religious leaders even. Expands his explanation for the listener. He says, I am the good shepherd. I know my own, and my own know me. Just as the Father knows me, and I know the Father, and I lay down my life for the sheep. Like, Jesus really wants us to get this. He, he's repeating two things here. He's repeating that he is the good shepherd, and that he lays down his life for the sheep. But interestingly, he inserts something else from verse 11. Continues this is important, I think. He says that I know my own, and my own know me. Just as the Father knows me, and I know the Father. What is Jesus doing? He's, he's saying that he knows the sheep. He knows the ones that he has rescued and those who follow him. He knows them with an intimate knowledge. It's not just kind of like a cursory knowledge, like he knows a lot of facts about them. It's a complete knowledge. He has nothing hidden, nothing helpful. Intimacy—that knowing that's more complete than any human relationship you could ever imagine. He knows his sheep, and to illustrate it, Jesus gives a statement that should blow us away. He says that it's how does he know us? It's just as he knows the Father, and the Father knows him. It's incredible because throughout John's Gospel, we've learned that Jesus and the Father are one. Jesus always does the words of the Father. Their intimacy cannot even be really described. It is so close. And Jesus is saying, just as I know the Father, the Father knows me, so I also know my sheep. Later in chapter 10, Jesus is going to say, I and the Father are one. And so Jesus knows his sheep in, a, in an intimate way, in a way that ultimately brings unity between him and the sheep. Statement. I want us to just think about it for a moment. It means 
Jesus rescues you, when you have trusted in Jesus, it means he knows you beyond comprehension. Yes, he knows everything about you, but he knows you with a Psalm 139 kind of knowing. He knows when you sit down and you rise up. He discerns your thoughts from afar. He's acquainted with all of your ways. Even before a word is on your tongue, he knows it. He hangs you in behind and before. And he lays his hand upon you. The fact that Jesus knows you, follower of Jesus, means that he's with you, that he's for you, that he's in your corner. He will never leave you. He will never forsake you. It also means that his faith will be your faith. He's united you with himself. rescues you, believer. He makes you his own. He also ensures the flip side that you know him. He reveals himself to us. He puts his very spirit in us. He reveals himself in a way that he enables our spiritual eyes to be open, our spiritual ears, so that we can hear his voice through his word.
was planned as a play down in life is Jesus' clearest uh, presentation ever. And he, he helps us to show, he shows us in the clearest way that he is the good shepherd. He's re- repeated as much multiple times that he laid down his life. He's laid down his life. In case we missed it, he goes into it with even more depth and it includes simplicity. He says, for this reason, the Father loves me because I lay down my See, Jesus' willingness to lay down his life is not the only reason that the Father loved him, but it's really an indicator of the complete obedience that Jesus has had to the Father for all history, for all of time. They have this intimacy, this love where Jesus always obeys, but the, the greatest obedience is shown here as he gives himself for the sheep of the cross. Then starting in verse 18, Jesus gives us a window into his plan. Jesus' death was not Jesus's death was not caused by someone else. It was according to the plan for the plan of God himself. Jesus says here in these last verses that he was going to the cross willingly, authoritatively, and eagerly. So first in these verses he's saying he's going willingly. This is verse 18. No one takes it life from me. Leaders can't take the life from you, even though they want to. Judas Iscariot can't take my life from you, even though he's going to betray me. Pilate can't take my life from me, even though he thinks he has the authority to do so. Even the devil can't take my life from me. What does he say? I lay it down on my own accord. So Jesus laid down his life willingly for us. He laid it down authoritatively. He says, I have the has been given the authority from the Father to lay down his life and to raise from the dead. And he has done that for us. He raised himself in, uh, through the Father's uh, power. He's raised himself from the dead. He is God so that we might live. So he laid it down willingly. He laid it down authoritatively. He laid it down eagerly. And verse 18, this charter I have received Revelation from Jesus being the good shepherd demands a response. First, we hear the tragic response of the religious leaders, starting in verse 17. There is again division amongst the Jews because of these words. Many of them said, He has a demon, and he is insane, like the sons of a man. Others said, He's an leaders of the time, who some of whom saw the works of God through Jesus up close. They saw the miracles that God performed. They saw what Jesus said, how he was God himself, how he was the Messiah. They've seen it all. They've seen God work. They've seen the eyes of a man born blind opened up. And yet, some of them said, he's got a demon. He's, he's from the devil. Jesus elsewhere in Matthew describes this as the empire of 
nothing incredible to him when you see the work of the Holy Spirit, when you see God's work right in front of your eyes, and you attribute those very works to sin. It's a kind of unbelief that could not be forgiven. And some of them have not quite on that same level of unbelief, uh, so hardened that not willing to say Jesus is possessed by a demon, it's still, it's still
sell out for the temptations of this world. The the world promises things it can never deliver. It will never deliver what it promises. Instead, we adequately follow the good shepherd, obey him in the strength of the Holy Spirit. And I guarantee you, you will experience abundant life in space, joy, peace, patience, kindness, find fullness of life, and pleasure forevermore. Can't be found I am lamenting the reasons why people are disillusioned by the church. And there are some good reasons why people are disillusioned. I hope today you hear Jesus' very words about those who are not shepherding his flock correctly. And I would just invite us, if that is the case for you, not to give up on the work of Christ. Don't give up on Jesus. Don't give up. This church we preach Christ crucified, who as the Apostle Paul says is a stumbling block to Jews and folly to Gentiles. To those who are called both Jews and Greeks, Christ, the power of God, and the wisdom of God. I want to close with a quote from Pastor and Evangelist Frank Warren. He says this by insisting that Jesus is the only way that we can approach God and may stand on certain people like I'm implying I somehow am better than they are, or that I look down on them in some way. But I want you to know that I have a very good reason for believing that Jesus is the only way to the Father. I believe that because he said so. to you.